All right. Hello, welcome to Adventures Among Ideas. Today, I'm continuing the limits of pluralism debate involving Wayne Booth, M.H. Abrams, J. Hillis Miller, and some others that I've been talking about for the last couple of episodes. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about J. Hillis Miller, but we need to begin with Wayne Booth. I mentioned in the first Limits of Pluralism debate episode that Booth and M.H. Abrams had had an earlier exchange in 1976. There's the Limits of Pluralism, 1977. Uh, before that, Booth and Abrams had had a kind of exchange in 1976. Booth, in an article which uh, was called M.H. Abrams, Historian Critic Pluralist, replied to some objections to Abrams' method that might be raised by a deconstruction-oriented critic. At one point, Booth's imagined critic complains that Abrams is too unitary in his interpretations. He assumes that the texts he studies have a single interpretation. This goes against the obvious fact that different readers come away with different meanings for these texts. And the critic also says the assumption of a unitary meaning has a stultifying effect on literary criticism. Stultifying effect. Booth's reply to this is twofold, has two parts. He says that Abrams is limited more than some other critics because Abrams is worried about what the authors of the text were trying to do or intending to do, not with all the things that their texts might mean. So Abrams is really concerned about the author of the intention. Uh, and Booth also says that creative misreading, such as a deconstructionist might do, is logically and socially dependent on its opposite. Uh, so I should mention here that misreading, when these critics are talking about misreading, they're usually referring to a book by Harold Bloom called The Map of Misreading, which came out in 1975. And which is uh, this book map of misreading is about how authors creatively misread, quote unquote, misread texts. And this is uh, one of the ways that literary innovation happens, according to um, Bloom, Harold Bloom. Uh, but what Blue, uh, Booth is saying here, so deconstructionists, Booth is saying, need to rely on the work of people like Abrams, who give the historical meaning of the texts which deconstructionists then deconstruct. The way Booth puts, puts it is that every effort at original or free interpretation is plainly and simply parasitical on the work of people like Abrams. Parasitical on the work of people like Abrams. The key word here is parasitical. Because that is the word that uh, J. Hillis Miller latches onto in his own contribution to the debate. Miller, uh, to review, I talked about him before, but Miller, uh, to kind of review who he was, was one of the foremost American deconstructionists, a member of the so-called Yale School of Literary Criticism in the 70s and 80s, and finished out his long career at UC Irvine, University of California in Irvine. Uh, Miller's article for consideration here is called The Critic as Host. The 1977 version of this article is a mere nine pages but Miller um, greatly expanded this for a volume called Deconstruction and Criticism, which came out in 1979. And this is one of the, the key texts of American deconstructionism. I'm going uh, to refer to this later version, which is much longer. 
So I have to say, before I begin, that Miller is not really my kind of critic. The other critics in the debate, in the limits of pluralism debate, tend to be basically interested in writers and readers, which is to say they're interested in people, in human beings. Miller is very, very focused on texts and even just on particular words, as we'll see a little bit. Uh, human life tends to disappear in Miller's writing. So I don't find him so congenial to me personally and probably a little bit biased against him, even though I think Miller says something really important. But in any case, I'm going to try to give a sympathetic account of his contribution to this debate. Uh, Miller has called his article The Critic as Host. And in the first section of the article, he plays around a lot with the words host and parasite. I mentioned this word parasitical. The deconstructionist is parasitical on uh, someone like Abrams. So Miller is playing around a lot with the idea of host and parasite. When a critic cites a bit of a literary text or other text, is the literary text a parasite within the host of the critic's text? Or is the critic's text parasitical on the literary text? Does the parasite text kill the host text, or are they somehow able to live happily together? Is deconstructive criticism a kind of parasitical virus that invades a host text to make it do what it wants it to do? Or is metaphysics, which presupposes an obvious or univocal meaning, as Miller says, is metaphysics itself a parasitical virus reproducing itself again and again within Western culture? Some of the, the kind of language that uh, Miller is using. And actually, these two terms, uh, deconstruction and, meta and metaphysics, are Miller's main oppositional categories in this article. We'll see he uh, also plays around with a nihil nihilism uh, in terms in relation to metaphysics. Um, but so deconstruction and metaphysics. Metaphysics is a way of setting up apparently unified meanings. Um, it's a kind of construction construction. Deconstruction is constantly breaking apart these meanings to make new meanings. Uh, these two processes, metaphysics and deconstruction, are dependent on each other. And there's a kind of, what Miller says, oscillation. An oscillation between metaphysics, or construction, and deconstruction. Because, as Miller says, there is no deconstruction which is not at the same time constructive, affirmative. So deconstruction, Miller, Miller thinks, is an appropriate name. He thinks there's some problems with the name, but he also thinks it's an appropriate name because it juxtaposes both de, like deconstruction, and con, uh, construction. So de is like apart, right? You're destroying, you know, taking something apart. Um, and then con is about together. The prefix con is about con, uh, things being together, a combination. So con can be com or other. Um, consonants can appear at the end, but c-o-n, important prefix about together, things being together. Uh, so sandwiched between Miller's programmatic com uh, comments on uh, deconstruction at the beginning and end of his article, he does two things. 
kind of two uh, related things. He discusses nihilism or nihilism, um, and he analyzes some works by Shelley, Percy Bysh, Bysh, uh, uh, Shelley, obviously I have trouble pronouncing his name, uh, especially Shelley's use of the parasite motif. Uh, Shelley uses it. He actually uses parasite um, in some of his poems. The, this image of a parasite in his, uh, some different poems. So I'm not going to say much about the Shelley parts of Miller's article because it would be a bit tedious unless you're really into Shelley. And uh, it seems somehow kind of beside my uh, my point here, beside my theme here. Um, but if you are interested in Shelley, you'll probably just want to read Miller's analysis, which is interesting and something people were uh, working on at the time. Abrams has his own analysis analysis of Shelley. Uh, Harold Bloom has his own analysis of Shelley and so on and so on. But so let's talk about nihilism rather. Uh, deconstruction is often identified with nihilism. The deva we can think of nihilism as the devaluation of values, the reduction of meaning to meaninglessness. A well-known critic of the previous generation, Rene Wellick, for example, it's W-E-L-L-E-K, if you want to look him up, Rene Wellick, uh, consistently identified deconstruction with nihilism. He even wrote a paper about this called The New Nihilism in Literary Studies. Wellick saw deconstruction as entirely negative, the negative methodology. So among all the methodologies and criticism that have emerged, and there was all these new methodologies emerging in the 20th century, Wellick writes that only deconstructionism is entirely negative. It makes meaning meaningless. Uh, so it's hard for me to say whether this is fair or not. It's not quite fair, as we'll see Miller claim, but um, you know you can see where uh, where Wellick is coming from, I guess. In Miller's theory, deconstruction is both positive and negative, as I, we already kind of talked about. In practice, sometimes it seems negative, like in those moments when Miller picks up on a certain word and follows follows its etymology and its various meanings into strange places. If you go and read Miller's um, writings, this is one of the things he does, is he you know, picks up on certain words, like he's doing here, picking up on words like parasite and following these around. I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but that's a common uh, kind of Miller tactic. Um, other times, at other times, though, like in Miller's analysis of Shelley in this article, it seems pretty positive. So he gives a kind of account of um, uh, Shelley's poetry, which is not just negative. Um, so he gives Shelley's works a rather determinate meaning. It's not just reducing Shelley's poetry to meaninglessness, though he does give a certain meaning to Shelley's works. Uh, but we might, so we might say that nihilism is a phase of deconstruction, but not really the whole of it, at least as Miller practices it. Uh, to be clear, for Miller, deconstruct so then so deconstruction is not nihilism, or not just nihilism, or it is you know it is and it isn't nihilism. Nihilism is related to what Miller calls logocentric metaphysics, as parasite is related to host. So setting up the relationship between nihilism and metaphysics. It's like this relationship between parasite and host, which is also related to the um, connection that Miller makes between the critical text and the literary text, and we'll come back to that. But from the perspective of metaphysics, nihilism is like a, a pesky parasite. It's 
nihilism and metaphysics are each necessary for the other, like host and parasite are necessary for each other, right? These two concepts are necessary. You can't have the concept of a host without a parasite, a parasite without a host. You can't have one without the other, but they're also opposed in a certain way. So Western culture has historically privileged metaphysics, this idea of unitary solid meaning that you get through metaphysics or you try to build up through metaphysical investigation. Uh, nihilism from this perspective is like um, a parasite, an irritation, an uncanny guest is one of uh, Miller's phrases that he comes back to again and again. Uncanny guest or the uncanniest guest. It's always just there. Right, this guest that won't leave. <laughs> uh, deconstruction is supposed to reverse this. It privileges or gives added weight, at least, to nihilism. From this perspective, from the perspective of nihilism, metaphysics is just a kind of effective language, a rhetorical trope, the temporary emergence of meaning from meaninglessness. It's kind of effective language that gives meaning, which is not really there. Uh, so it's easy to get carried away with this kind of abstract language that we've been using until you're not really sure what you're talking about anymore. And uh, so it's hard to know exactly how this relates to what we're trying to talk about. Um, but in one of his most programmatic statements, uh, Miller writes, deconstruction is neither nihilism nor metaphysics, but simply interpretation as such. So this is something he also comes back to again and again. Deconstruction is interpretation as such. So it's kind of your pure interpretation. So interpretation as such, the untangling of the inheritance of metaphysics in nihilism and of nihilism in metaphysics by way of a close reading of texts. This procedure, however, can in no way escape in its own discourse from the language of the passages it cites. This language is the expression of the inheritance of nihilism in metaphysics and of metaphysics in nihilism. We have no other language. The language of criticism is subject to exactly the same limitations and blind alleys as the language of the works it reads. The most heroic effort to escape from the prison house of language only builds the walls higher. So that's a, a longish quote from Miller. Um, but since deconstruction reverses and plays with the traditional relation of metaphysics and nihilism, it has the possibility, Miller says, of going beyond this opposition to what Nietzsche called interpretation as joyful wisdom, the greatest joy in the midst of the greatest suffering. And this is Miller's paraphrase of Nietzsche. So joyful wisdom, this is uh, sometimes translated as gay science, um, one of Nietzsche's famous books. And of course, Nietzsche is one of the um, people that deconstructionists really draw on, kind of the, the grandfather or something of uh, deconstruction. Um, but deconstruction goes beyond metaphysics and nihilism, not by escaping them, so it doesn't actually get away from them, get out of them, but by a constant, does this constant oscillation between them, such that, uh, Miller says, one enters a strange borderland, a frontier region, which provides a glimpse of the land, this unreachable land beyond metaphysics. Um, so this oscillation between metaphysics and nihilism gives you kind of this new perspective on something beyond, even though you can't reach whatever is beyond. Uh, okay, <laughs> so what is the 
relation between critic and literary text. Miller puts it this way in one of his more direct statements about this. Um, that kind of relates to what I've been talking about. Miller says, the critical text and the literary text are each parasite and host for the other, each feeding on the other and feeding it, destroying it and being destroyed by it. So it's similar to the relation between metaphysics and nihilism, that they're kind of parasites for each other, hosts for each other, um, kind of creating each other, destroying each other in this constant movement. Uh, so what about pluralism, which is what our debate is supposed to be about, the limits of pluralism? Miller doesn't, uh, I think, ad address this directly. I'm not sure if he, I'd have to check again if he actually even mentions the word pluralism. He must mention it somewhere in the uh, essay, but I don't honestly remember him doing so. Um, obviously, though, for Miller, meaning is always shifting, it's always unstable, and so are the methods available to the critic. All methods, Miller writes, must be dismantled in their turn in an interminable movement of interrogation, which is the life of criticism. Criticism is a human activity which depends for validity on never being at ease with a fixed method. So this is a quotation from Miller again. In a way, this is a kind of extreme pluralism, you can maybe see right? Constantly dismantling your methods, um, never being uh, happy with a fixed method. It's a kind of pluralism, uh, at least in theory. So in practice, deconstruction uh, seems to have really been a kind of close reading, if you're familiar with the practice of close reading, which many of us learn in school. Um, you know, it's been narrowly focused on the text itself and on even specific words in the text. As I've pointed out before um, a number of times, M.H. Abrams, Abrams in his work pointed out that criticism can focus on authors, it can focus on readers, it can focus on texts, it can focus on the environment that the text uh, is assumed to refer to or to some combination of all these things. Uh, so if we look at it in that way, deconstruction is highly focused on texts, on the text itself. As Miller practice, uh, practiced it, um, it seems to be like a descendant of early 20th century new criticism, if you're familiar with new criticism. Um, as Abrams, as we saw Abrams put it in my last episode, deconstruction is graphocentric. It's really focused on writing, on the text, as the black letters on white paper. And so in another sense, deconstruction is very limited in the kind of uh, method it employs. It's very focused on you know, just the text itself and kind of bracketing, as I talked about last time, it kind of brackets everything else. So Miller doesn't really get into the life of the author, the reader's experience, um, at least not in a really direct kind of way or theoretical kind of way. Um, so anyway, uh, this is about as far as I want to go with this discussion of Miller. Like I said, Miller's analysis of Shelley, of the poet Shelley, is good if you're interested in Shelley, but it's pretty much outside of uh, my topic here. I think Miller is useful. So although I uh, there's things I don't like about Miller's approach, I think Miller is useful in pointing out how there are these two tendencies in Western culture, maybe within any culture, I don't know, um, of solidifying meanings on the one hand. So these two tendencies, solidifying meanings on the one hand, dissolving meanings, deconstructing meanings, breaking apart meanings on the other. It seems to me only natural that we usually privilege 
solidifying or stabilizing meanings because that makes life easier, at least in the short term. Um, there's an old song I like, which one of the lines is, uh, living is easy when you know what to do. So when you know the meaning, things go more smoothly. Life is easier. But there's times when you need to break apart old meanings where the meanings you have don't work anymore. The situation has changed too much. Uh, there's times we need to break apart these old meanings and recognize um, and to recognize the tension between stabilizing and destabilizing meanings. This is something that Morse Peckham uh, wrote about quite a lot, and I think that's why Peckham had a great deal of respect for Miller, even though they were very different kinds of critics. Uh, so in the next two episodes, I'll look at two attempts to mediate between traditional literary criticism and deconstruction. The first is by James Kincaid, and the second will be by Morris Peckham. So, uh, look forward to seeing you then. But that's all for now, and thank you for listening. Bye.